From the School of Psychology at the University of Queensland and UQPSY Studios, this is Just a Thought, a podcast where we explore psychology and how it influences our lives. Here are your hosts, James Kirby and Nicole Nelson. And welcome to another episode of Just a Thought, uh, the School of Psychology podcast uh, from the University of Queensland. And today we're very lucky to have Professor Jim uh, Blaskovich uh, from the University of Santa Barbara. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, Jim. He's got an incredible... University of California. Oh, University of California, Santa Barbara. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 that's okay. (laughs) I've made so many uh, mistakes, it's ridiculous. So, University of California, California, Santa Santa Barbara. Um, But uh, you've got a huge history, first beginning at uh, University of Nevada, is that right? Correct. And uh, you were there for quite some time before moving to... Well, I was there four years, um, less than four years, actually. Yes. I had a stint in the Air Force for about ah. six months. But I, uh, I was there, I started uh, graduate school there and got my PhD in four years. Yes. And then I was hired in the first year afterwards to be an assistant professor. And then I moved on. <laughs> and how long have you been at um, Santa Barbara for? Since um, 95. Okay, so quite some time. Yeah, 22 years. So. Uh, so that's well and truly home now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you've been out here now in Australia for the last month? Or Since so? April 1st. Since April, April 1st. Actually, April 3rd. We left on April 1st. Yep. Lost a day and got here. Yeah. Got there. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's what happens. It's a long trip, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, and has it been mostly um, your time here in Australia uh, about connecting uh, with fellow colleagues or has it been more of an opportunity to take a bit of a holiday? Well, it's been <clears throat> probably more the former than the latter. I see. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, taking a holiday uh, here or there is usually connected to giving... Uh, colloquia. Yes. Anyway, yes, so yes. people found out we were here and invited us to yes. to go elsewhere. And also, having been in the field this long, mm. um, we have lots of friends here, <laughs> you know, particularly here, but you know, also at some of the other universities south of here. Oh, that that's excellent. And I mean, you you've done so much in in the field of uh, uh, social psychology in particular, and in the seminar uh, that you gave uh, to the school. Uh, a few weeks back now, you talked a lot about how you have created a lot of innovations in the in the area of physiology and bringing that measurement into social psychology research. But you also have another huge track of research in virtual reality. Um, do those ever combine or do they always stay uh, separated? They are fairly separated, although we have done um, the neurophysiological work mm-hmm. with people in virtual reality. Ah, right, yeah. Yes, and it kind of just furthers our idea. Yes, yes. Or furthers our conclusion <laughs> that it's all virtual. <laughs> it's all virtual. And we might dig a bit more you into You don't that. get a difference in challenge and threat in VR. What's that, sorry? You don't get, get a difference in challenge and threat compared yeah. to the natural world yeah. Um, yeah. between the two. Yeah. So when you start looking at the brain and physiology, um, one could actually say... Uh, it treats everything as virtual. It, 
And we might get into it a little bit more about that because um, that's a very interesting area. Um, I mean, Jim, if you had to describe what you did in a nutshell, uh, what would you say in terms of your research? In terms of research? Mm. Well, I think I, I jumped to methods um, <laughs> that involve actual behaviors, yeah. actual uh, physiology underlying those behaviors, um, and really believe that those sort of data are relatively immutable in comparison to paper and pencil questionnaires, mm-hmm. in-person interviews, mm-hmm. um, you know, et cetera. So uh, that's, that's really kind of what I've, what I've done. And uh, it seems they've paid off. Well, I mean, you gave a, in the seminar, you gave a great history on how you first, I think, got interested in mm-hmm. how physiology might be either predicting or explaining behavior. Was that in the, in the context of playing poker? Is that blackjack? Blackjack, was it blackjack? Um, and that was one of the, the things that sort of uh, was you one of your first field experiments, as it were, looking at bringing physiology into it. Um, and it's what you touched on in the seminar, I mean. Well, we didn't do physiology in the field. Okay, okay. What yeah. we did was we, we built a little casino. Yes. Oh. And we were able to do it in that casino. Oh, right. So this was in your actual lab? This was in, the, yes, this was in my, my I was a graduate student, so yeah. this was in my professor's uh, lab. And you created a... Uh... Yeah, we had slot machines, we had a blackjack table. <laughs> and um, another thing we had that was interesting, because it was what was going on in casinos at the time, was we had one-way mirrors. Oh, wow. And most casinos back then had one-way mirrors, yes. so oh, they could yeah. watch everybody. Uh, now they do it, I'm sure, with like television cameras and hidden microphones and stuff like that. Mm. So um, it was fairly, you know, realistic. We had people come in and, and bet for just chips, you know, it was like Monopoly money. Mm. And we had people come in with their own money. And we got the same. Oh, really? The same results, particularly the physiological results. And you were having to invent the ways you were capturing physiology is that right for those early experiments? well no not in the early, not in that okay. particular series there we were just doing heart rate okay. and yeah. uh, we actually had a had a poker game among graduate students and faculty members where everybody was wired for uh, EKG for electrocardiograms and we wound up with mountains of data mm. um, that <laughs> for which there was no technology to look at I see um, so that that was a little bit uh, disappointing, so yeah. then we kind of uh, we kind of moved on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now it would have been frustrating to have all that data and not know, mm-hmm. well, have the means to to look at what yeah, it meant. Yeah, no, nobody in the world could have disentangled disentangled and scored it. Yeah. Um, you know, in in under a half century at mm. the time. <laughs> it is incredible to see the 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 huge uh, surge in new ways to measure and analyze um, just even in the last 10 years so let alone yes. the last you know, five yeah yes. exactly oh, yeah. absolutely so you know things have, have become more and more um, powerful and mm. being able to look at more more things mm. rather than just picking one let's say just heart rate you know, yeah. well, heart rate 
can mean a lot of different things. So, you know, sometimes something, and it's opposite both. So how do, what do you conclude that's going <laughs> yeah, on? Yeah, that's very, right. It makes it very difficult. Yeah, no, the reliability starts to become questionable. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So if you, if you um, based on theory, if you can pick patterns of response and mm. patterns of responses together at the mm. same time, mm. uh, then the odds of your being correct yeah, yes, that's right. Are a lot higher. And that's uh, what you almost took us through that journey um, uh, in your seminar. Uh, in the seminar, what would perhaps be some of the key sort of messages uh, that you really wanted to, to make in, in that talk? Well, one message was, <clears throat> or would be, that if people are interested in physiology, you have to kind of go deep into it. Yeah. You have to understand what's going on. Yes. Um, our recently uh, passed away colleague, John Cassiopo, who's probably the most famous social psychophysiologist ever mm. and a genius in many ways, unfortunately, again, he, he passed on. Mm. But he, um, he taught me in a way, uh, I was at a workshop he rang, and then, not rang, <laughs> held, yeah. and uh, in that workshop he said, what you need is to identify um, the complexity of what it is you're studying and mm. figure out what physiologically is going to be involved. Mm. And then what you need to do is look at multiple measures over time so that you have a time signature, mm. uh, you see patterns. Some of these things stay the same. For example, heart rate pretty much is there whether one is challenged or threatened. Um, and it's up to other measures to untangle those sorts of, uh, those sorts of things. Mm. So. Um, you know, I feel pretty good, and, and I think, uh, you know, about challenge and threat being pretty stable and pretty informative yeah. and <clears throat> pretty meaningful. Yeah, and the key is, you, you know, if you want to start to integrate this as part of your uh, research methodology, it will perhaps take some time to understand the, 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 the depth and, and, and yes. sophistication to... Oh, yes. Um, you know, that's all been worked out pretty much now. Yeah. But um, okay. having, having gathering the right equipment to be able to do it, being trained in that, yeah. in that use of that equipment, being trained in terms of how to score it. Yes. And, um, you know, now we have some pretty good, uh, you know, high-level computer aids and mixed in with it as well, so the scoring is a little, a little better. You know. Is it as a could 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 one be as um, what's the word perhaps uh, confident just to bring in a, a physiological uh, measurement technician? Like, so he comes in, he'll not the technician. So the technician is the equipment. Okay, so okay, yeah, yeah. Make yeah. sure that keeps working. Sure. And it's and it's calibrated, but that's a great question. Yeah. You know. Um, you know, you certainly, uh, when you start out, you have all this equipment to use and how to hook it up and yeah. how to properly hook up sensors and electrodes and things like that in a person. Mm. So you, one needs to really, you know, really get that, uh, really get that down. Um, and then there, yeah, there are equipment failures sometimes, mm. and so mm. you have to get a new amplifier for something or do mm. this. And then the the landscape is constantly changing. So we go from equipment, you know, the size of a desk. Yeah. You know, to it all fits on a, on a uh, you know, half meter by quarter meter shelf. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, you know, third of a centimeter high or something like that. 
And so, so that's happening. And then at the same time, there's big advances in scoring those data. And then, and then of course, analyzing the data uh, mm. as well. So for a while, we would have to average over a minute mm. to get a to to get measures that we could then put into um, analysis, and not because we didn't we knew that we didn't think there was more information there, but just in terms of being able to analyze it. Yes. Um, but, but you know, you're when you do that, you'll allow more noise. Yes. So what we've developed now, and when I say we, my team, it wasn't me exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, we, we now, when we look at the output, you know, all the squiggly lines from all the measures, mm. we have a running window, mm. like a eight, an eight beat or eight second window, I guess it is, and mm. the window just keeps moving I see. forward. Yeah. And so that gives us a lot of reliability. It, it also points to uh, time, time points um, when you know something really happened when it started that somebody was challenged when it started that somebody was threatened all yes. those sorts of also all those sorts of things yeah. and so when you mentioned before um, the idea of looking at it both um, in terms of what's happening in the person's physiology when they go and do certain things or make uh, responses whether it be to a threat or a challenge and then longitudinally it could be longitudinally in terms of just a time frame of say 10 minutes or are you talking more years the longitudinal oh um, no no we don't talk about you know we don't talk about um years i'm sure there are some people who are in um a frequent state of threat yes, I mean, yes. and maybe not so much with challenge but a frequent state of uh of threat but it, if it lasted for years they would be and <laughs> so those are the consequences. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, <clears throat> but short of death, uh, yeah, if, if people are constantly threatened in their job, etc., they'll develop mm. high blood pressure mm. and all sorts of uh, mm. all sorts of uh, stuff. Mm. Um, so that was one of the key uh, points. Then, really, is you know, if you if you're looking at bringing it, it, it into your your research and. Um, it's probably going to cost a bit of money to get the equipment, but also you have to dive deep and try to understand exactly you know, what it is you're looking for. Um, yeah. You know, it's got to make theoretical sense. Yeah. <laughs> what well, it's got to make, yeah, it's got to make sense that yeah. you're actually doing it correctly, yeah, and, yeah. the valid measures and all yeah. of that sort of, uh, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, people who, who are, let's say, Threaten a lot or all the time, you know, are going to develop cardiovascular diseases, mm. other diseases, probably faster than people who are challenged. It's like it's it's if you look at if you look at the patterns, mm. it's, one looks like aerobic exercise. I see. Yeah. That's a challenge pattern, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. although nobody's running or mm -hmm. doing anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the other and the other is um, a, a situation that looks very much at the. The, the opposite. So I think I might have mentioned in the talk that um, undergraduate students, maybe even graduate students, maybe adults, you know, mm. are, often have the idea that when they're uh, when they're you know feeling bad or when they're uh, kind of really upset about like a grade on an exam or when they're just really stressed out, mm. they go running mm. Mm -hmm. and. 
if they keep perseverating on those thoughts, they're hurting themselves. Yeah. Okay, because they're, they're really taxing and pushing the limits of the cardiovascular system. So I think that's a, a, a really good point to perhaps for some listeners who are, are somewhat uh, uh, new to this kind of field. What do you mean by challenge versus threat? Challenge simply means yeah. that uh, whether you know it or not, you have the resources to meet the demands of the situation. I see. And, yeah. and if you know it, it's even better. Yeah. Um, threat is when you don't. Okay. And a lot of people... Um, Probably a lot more people don't realize they're in that state when they're doing it. When they're, and is the threat response more kind of linked into that kind of fight-flight mechanisms that are often spoken about? Or is that kind of cut across both? Uh, it cuts across both. Okay, yeah. okay so, you know, and, um, you know, both require, uh, certainly flight requires generally aerobic, a lot of increased aerobic activity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um you know, threat uh, is, um, you know, involves danger. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you, you know, you, you think about these kind, you think about these kind of things. Um, and generally, uh, people do not <coughs> um, perform as well when they're threatened and when they're challenged. There are some cases where they do, they are. Okay. Um, so, that um, I think I might have mentioned one of them during the talk. So <clears throat> we did some studies on surveillance, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, <clears throat> if you're uh, if you're threatened and you have to find things in a in a field of view, mm. for example, mm. uh, and uh, you know, in order to in order to kind of save yourself, if yeah. You're, if you're if you're threatened, um, uh, we found that people are better at surveillance than that they're challenged. I see. So when when they're able to spot a target or something that might be a a threat to their safety, or mm-hmm. okay, so or something missing, yes. And that you know, I don't know exactly why that's the case, but it certainly seems that it fits within an evolutionary yeah. uh, context. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. So it doesn't mean you're not going to have the long-term bad consequences of being threatened all the time. You are. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. you're going to make it through this situation. <laughs> that's a big. That's an important distinction, right? Right. Um, the the immediate short-term right. benefits, however, it can come with some. Right. You can think term. of you know you can think of uh, soldiers during wartime. You know, oh, yes. under gunfire. Yes. Yes. All those kind of things. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Um, we never did those studies, so we don't know how far it extends to other kinds of activities. But uh-huh. it, I, I thought it was really interesting, and then I think yeah. in the talk I also talked about academic defensive pessimism. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You remember yeah. that? Oh, um, babies, I'll I'm still. You if you like. I, I, yeah, no, that would. I think we need to. But I mean, that that, that key point of don't go running angry uh, really stuck with me. So yeah, that part, yeah. okay, well, yeah, yeah. academic defensive pessimists yeah. are. Um, uh, in our students, mm-hmm. um, generally, who just oh I'm going to flunk this test oh I'm not going to do well you know they're usually hanging outside the door before the exam early yes and you know oh oh you know just, <laughs> it's the end of the world yeah, yeah, yeah. and all of this stuff then they go in and they set the curve. <laughs> 
So dispositionally for them, yes, yes, it yes. works. Yes, it works. Yes, yeah. but at some cost. And you know, the to cost. The, yes, basically, if you want to extend it that far, yes. Yeah. Um, and where were you going to go with it? Well, you know, and I think there's some personality kind of yeah. uh, characteristics mixed in there. I'm not. I'm not so. Uh, I'm not so sure. Um, and I suspect what's going on in certain performance situations with uh, people who are defensive pessimists is they're, they're setting their bar way too high. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But they're doing it and it works. Yeah. And But on the other hand, you know, they're going to pay the consequences somewhere. Yes, uh, oh, yes. That, so, I mean, it, it, it really drives them to perhaps uh, apply themselves to a huge uh, degree in order to ensure that they do yeah. the best they can. But it's being driven from a threat. To develop an agar, yeah, to self-threaten. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll self-threaten myself to motivate me to do yeah. extremely well. Yeah, I, I'm sure they're not that explicit about it to themselves, but yeah. yes, yeah, that might be happening. As opposed to if I go running, I'll, I'll yeah. calm down and I'll yeah. be okay. Well, you'll calm down and be okay if you, if you actually, um, don't think about the bad situation that created yeah. created the threat or created the, the stress and. And uh, if you can relax and do it, you know. Is part of that then also um, that, oh, I'm not going to do any good on this test and and so on, uh, a preemptive coping strategy uh, to minimize disappointment? I'm sure. Um, but they are regardless it still links into the same physiological I don't think it, yes and I don't yeah. think it works yeah <laughs> <laughs> for those students for yeah for those students yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think it works I um, think they stay threatened yes uh, I mean, are there any other key messages you'd like to uh, to perhaps emphasize at this point from the talk um, that from you that talk yeah 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 from um, well I don't know I was uh, coming here and, and visiting and mm-hmm. um being at several universities over here and mm-hmm. you know some things have happened in the last year mm-hmm. just the last year but um, I don't believe how widespread the biopsychosocial model was being used okay so that was a surprise that was a surprise maybe I should have read more literature <laughs> but yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. who wants to do that yeah <laughs> <laughs> takes time right <laughs> yeah so um, so yeah no I, I, you know it's very that that is very gratifying Yes, because that would, that's a big part of your Yeah, it's kind research. of a validation of the yeah. whole, um, you know, the whole technique, the whole, mm. the whole, the whole deal. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, that's fantastic then. Um, I suppose at this juncture it would be nice perhaps if we delve a little bit into what you do with virtual reality. Um, I mean, that's a way of, of, of perhaps examining a number of different questions. Did you get into that space because it just offered another neat measurement technique or was there another underlying motive or reason to get into this space? Um, well, more the former. The, the, you know, social psychologists, you know, in the history over the time have, you know, gone through great length, some, you know, to create environments yeah. and, and, um, and deceive, you know, and, uh, but also not all of them, of course, um, involve, uh, uh, deception, but when you use virtual reality uh, in terms of internal validity, mm. uh, you can you can kind of increase that because using a virtual scenario, mm. a digital virtual scenario in three D, mm. 
is not, nothing about it is going to change from person one, subject one, to subject two, yes. to subject three, yes. to subject four. Yes. You know, yes, and yes, yes. Uh, it, it you know it's like putting you in the matrix. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> exactly like that. And so, uh, uh, it has I think a lot more not a lot more but you know maybe a lot more external validity to what you're doing. Absolutely. Not, and it's, and it's, what's really interesting is um, as time goes on, people are having more and more virtual experiences whether they realize it or not. Mm. Could you expand on that? Yeah, sure. Um, this is virtual. It's off the phone. iPhone. The yeah, phone is, yeah. I mean, it, the technology is just mm. getting better. It's like, mm. it's like, when the first movie was shown mm, in, mm. in France, you know, mm. wow, you know, kind of, kind of thing. And so, we we do a lot of stuff that's virtual. It may not be full blown mm. um, stimuli to all our senses, but um, you know when when. <laughs> When the first phone call was made, yeah, 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 wow, that's, right. that's really you, you know, kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, I think I think that um, particularly social psychologists have been using virtual reality, you know, all along. And of course, I believe that technological revolutions that have occurred over the last several thousand years mm. um, that are obviously um, increasingly um, repetitive. Pace that means you know short distances between inventions and things like that. Mm. That we're just you know very susceptible. As I said, I think in a talk I was at the Harry Potter movie with my daughter, mm, mm. and um, she turned to me and she said, "Dad, it's really real. It's just like in the book." <laughs> it's incredible. That's <laughs> so good. <laughs> I think I should I should just, I gotta write this one down. Yes. <laughs> So um, yeah, it's it's really you know it really is so good, and we can we can become blasé about all of these things and not think they're virtual. Yeah. But that isn't your mother you're talking to on that phone. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a digitized representation of her voice yeah. in near real time. It's incredible when you break when it down. When we do it, and when we think about doing it in the visual domain and visual space, it's the same thing. Yeah. Are you doing studies at the moment using virtual reality technologies? Um, yes. Well, we have a VR we have a VR lab yep. that's going um, that's going on. It's um, uh, I'm now a uh, emeritus and, and a research professor. So um, some people in our department decided they could use some of our lab a little bit better than I I, I could for oh. purposes. I, okay. I, totally disagree with that. But <laughs> so our lab has shrunk a bit. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we've we've have people from throughout the university, and particularly uh, women in geography at, mm-hmm. at uh, UCSB, uh, which I am told has like the best geography department in the world. Oh, yeah. 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 Although I don't know how many schools have it, but um, uh, yeah, there you know a lot of spatial work is going on mm-hmm. now with VR. So you don't have to, you know, the best anal- analogy of that is a flight training, which started you know 40, 50 years ago, maybe mm-hmm. longer longer than that mm. um, maybe in the late 30s early 40s um, you know people would go into flight train yeah. trainers and, yeah. and even now we have these things mm. that are that are built to mm. teach airline pilots how to fly and all mm. that stuff and um, you know that's that's been going on for for quite a long quite a long time 
and that's the, the active work that's going on still presently in um, in, yeah. in, in the VR lab. There. Yeah, and then, and then just one other point in that regard, my uh, colleague and, and uh, co-author and former postdoc, Jeremy Balenson at uh, Stanford, mm. um, they, have a, they have a company now that uh, uh, trains football players. Oh, really? Yeah, quarterbacks. Wow. How to read defenses, how to throw, you know, Throwing football, spotting the open receiver, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. So in, in sports, I think it's, it's getting That's very bit, interesting, yeah, isn't very, it? Very what an application. Yeah, it was, yeah. It's an application, all right. Yeah, goodness. Yeah. And I guess on that note, it, it's been lovely uh, talking. I'm going way over time, I think. No, no, that's okay, that's okay. It's been, it's been no, huge. No, it's my wife who's waiting. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 okay, yes, that's the point. We must get to her. Well, let's uh, not have any of that in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll cut that out. Um, just to finish up. Yeah. Um, if there was to be a movie that maybe best captured, and we ask everyone we, we interview on this, uh, if there was a movie that could best capture the work that you do, um, what movie would it be? Ready Player Now. What's Ready the, Player One. Ready Player, Ready Player Which is One. out now. Out now, so get to your local theatre. What's it about? Well, it's, it's about uh, the state of the world and the state of, uh, or a country or whatever, and some genius um, who... Uh, was thought to be dead, mm. um, created uh, created a world. Mm. Um, people were becoming addicted to VR mm-hmm. because their lives were so miserable otherwise. Mm. And it was a game, mm. and whoever found the golden key, you know, got the secret to the the whole the whole operation and inherited um, great prestige and power and all that sort of stuff. And it. Uh, uh, you know, pretty much, it pretty much supports the point I try to make. It's all virtual. It's all virtual. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Professor Jim uh, Blazkowicz. It was a pleasure talking to you. And, Likewise. And your impact on the field is, has obviously been enormous, and uh, it was lovely to have you on Just a Thought. Okay.